talking movies for the week. I'm one of your co-hosts, Rod Sani. I'm your other co-host, Sam. Thank you for joining us, um, Sam. After that busy news discussion, I've been kind of itching to just talk straight about like movies for a little bit because we're not going to be talking about hard hard facts, but I, I want to get into reviewing. And, and this week's uh, featured segment episode, we're talking about Sam Ra- Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy. Um, this, this trilogy is pretty cool actually because you know this this along with x-men came in the early 2000s x-men was like 2000 and then this movie was 2000 the first of the trilogy was 2002 and i think it sort of set the stage for where the superhero film is today um obviously it's disconnected from the mcu but um you know the the x-men and the spider-man movies for the early 2000s were far more mature version of superhero movies than we saw from like the tim burton batman and whatnot and how that Mm -hmm. um how that series of films progressed over the years when like Joel Schumacher took over and whatnot um but but I think it's really cool how the Spider-Man trilogy made comic book because comic books I think even with the Batman movies were still sort of um they still had this sort of negative connotation to them in a way like a sort of geeky connotation to them and this really opened the door to this genre being an easily accessible genre to everybody more or less yeah I think when we're talking about the Dark Knight trilogy and how it legitimized the superhero genre within like the academy itself I think when we're talking about you know the granddaddy of superhero movies we're going to be talking about Spider-Man how it legitimized itself with it within general audiences because this is the first movie ever in all time that hit 100 million in its opening weekend even if you're adjusting for inflation and all that and the way that kind of um, spiraled itself like you just talked about with the tone and how marvel kind of takes a, takes away the tone from this movie and applies it to its own movie so it does have that influence into the, the newer extended universe as well so there's a lot of things you can talk about in regards to this movie and why you know sam raimi did what he did and the choices he made and the people he cast and the sort of behind the scenes stuff that kind of made way for why this is a trilogy that so many people talk about and so many people, you know, have a connection to because of its execution as one of the more, you know, accessible and fun and, you know, even gripping trilogies within the superhero genre. I'm really glad that you bring up like the box office success of it, but also compare it to the dark Knight. because yeah, without a movie like this, I think, I think the X-Men movies are pretty crucial in that evolution, but um, these Spider-Man movies and, and you, you to attribute it to the box office reference that you made, these Spider-Man movies are really what paved the way for that, that genre. And without a movie like this Spider-Man and the rest of the Raimi Spider-Man movies, I think a movie like the dark Knight just does not happen because Batman begins came out the year before the Spider-Man three movie came out and it was, they were, trying to sort of ride a little bit of the warner brothers was trying to ride a little bit of the success that the sony had seen with these spider-man movies and i think that's pretty evident in the direction that they went with that franchise so this i mean so much can really be attributed to these movies um but yeah let, i mean like let's kind of discuss a little bit um about the casting and whatnot and maybe even discuss like how that cast evolved over the three movies and, and we could start actually with the first movie and discuss strictly the first spider-man from 2002 um this is this is the origin story this is the this is the first proper time that i was exposed to the spider-man origin story and i'm sure similar to you because we're not the biggest comic book readers and um i don't know how much of like the animated series and whatnot you watched um but this was this was the introduction to to the spider-man uh the spider-man backstory in a live action format where we see um uncle ben's death and how that influences the character of peter parker to go in the route that he goes and become the person that he becomes And, and i um 
I guess looking back on it now, it is kind of strange that Tobey Maguire was cast in this role because, you know, he does not look, feel, embody a high schooler in any way. None of them um, do. <laughs> no, uh, I think Tom Holland does. I would argue for Tom Holland. Well, I'm talking about like, actual, like initial cast. Oh, in, the, in this movie specifically, yeah, like James Kirsten Franco, Dunst, Kirsten Dunst. James no, Franco, yeah, yeah n- none of them do. Um, but that said, I think, you know, this movie, a lot of it, hinges on Tobey Maguire being a believable Peter Parker in Spider-Man. And because he's a good dramatic actor, I think it's actually pretty successful, despite the fact that he doesn't look like an 18-year-old kid. Yeah, I mean, the reason he got the job to begin with was, like, he didn't know anything about Spider-Man, never read the comics, but when he did audition for it, Sam was like, yep, this is our uh, this is our Peter Parker. But with uh, Willem Dafoe, he's actually campaigning for this role. He actually, like, hounded Sam Raimi and Sony to give him the role and cast him as the Green Goblin and uh, Norman Osborn. So that's fun to know about. As well as with Sam Raimi itself, like, now we, we're talking about directors within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We're talking about people who have a stronghold in the indie scene as opposed to like the blockbuster scene. But with Sam Raimi, the reason they chose him was not only because of his, you know, well-regarded movies with the Evil Dead franchise and all that, but he was actually an avid comic book collector. He actually owns like 25,000 comics to his collection. Yeah, actually that point about Sam Raimi's genre background is pretty crucial in the way that the Spider-Man works because um, I think a lot of the, it's not like a horror movie by any means, but no. um, you can kind of tell in the way that he's uh, that he frames things in the sort of lighting and the atmosphere, the way he paints New York um, and even some of the action sequences. Um, and, uh, and and specifically with Willem Dafoe and his sort of um, relationship with the Green Goblin and, and how that back and forth happens with, uh, with him and Norman Osborn. Um, it is very inspired by, I think, the the films that Sam Raimi made before this Spider-Man movie, and I think that that actually lends that is part of um, going back to where like where I started um, when I was talking about the sort of seriousness of the comic book genre and what this genre did or what this film did for that genre. I think a lot of that can actually be con- uh, attributed to Sam Raimi's previous experience and and specifically, yeah, with Willem Dafoe. And, and I'm glad that you bring him up because I think he is above all else the shining factor of this movie and Mm -hmm. um he's just so so good so menacing in that role um i don't know if i can i can't really think of anything that we've seen him do after this movie that has been similar sort of the way he's unhinged but in a large-scale movie like this like obviously he's done independent work like lighthouse where he's goofy and crazy and weird but like in a big budget blockbuster where he's sort of let off the hook and given the freedom to do what he wants to do i think it adds a lot of uh weight to this this specific spider-man movie and you can also tell about how much he cared about this role because he actually did like 90 percent of his stunts because he wanted the audience to be immersed in his performance as green goblin he could tell that if they chose a stunt double with you know as green goblin then the he would th- he perceived that the audience would know that it's not him behind the the, the mask and then they would like you know detach themselves from the character but you know did you know that david fincher was also you know a kind of almost given the role or not given like the director's chair for the Spider-Man. Yeah, I had heard that. And I think it, he, he, he attributed his reason, not like sort of getting closer to this project. I think partially because he had been um, so gypped by alien three, right. In the studio right, system. Right. And he didn't want to go back into that big block blockbuster atmosphere. Um, I think a David Fincher Spider-Man movie would have been honestly kind of crazy, but um, Sam Raimi is a pretty perfect choice when you look at the sort of pieces and how they came together. And I'm actually really, really happy with the way that this first movie and even the second one came out. Um, we've talked about Tobey Maguire a little bit. We talked about Willem Dafoe. What about the other cast members? Members, uh, Kirsten Dunst, James Franco, um, Cliff Robertson being Ben Parker, Ma- Rosemary Harris being Mary Parker, uh, or May Parker, May Parker, sorry, and J.K. Simmons being J. Jordan Jameson. 
Well, I can't really talk about the uncle and aunt dynamic because I haven't read the comic books. I felt like they were a bit older for their roles because like, they kind of okay. seemed to me like as grandparents as opposed to like aunts and uncles. But, you yeah. know, um, the actor, I forget his name, who played Ben Parker and the actress who played, uh, was it Aunt May? They did a fantastic uh, fantastic job in all three movies. And did you know, there's another thing that... Um, Aunt May, the actress, actor who played Aunt May, actually did her own stunts in Spider-Man 2, which is insane to me because... Oh, did she really? She doesn't seem like someone who would do that considering her age, but yeah. I guess she had a commitment to that role. But, you know, Ben Parker, great casting. Aunt May, great casting. Kirsten Dunst, I guess she's the... It's, I'm, a bit, I'm a bit indifferent, actually, to her as as a Mary, Mary Jane, Jane Watson. Yeah. I never really attached myself to her as, as the character, but for what she did with the role and how she played off the screen with Tobey Maguire, she did a good job within that role realm but um you know i talk about willem dafoe obviously being a great choice as green goblin but the, you know i'm just so happy that jk simmons came back as j jonah jameson because he's like <laughs> perfect for that role and he's so the way, good the way they like kind of folded him into the mcu was like the perfect way possible because he's like a conspiracy theory kind of guy mm. who owns this like a uh, weird ass website where he yeah which is like weird news and like that's like yeah. the perfect way for him to get into the to the new movies sure um what what are your sort of thoughts on this being the introduction to the character using green goblin as the main villain and the sort of arc that peter parker goes on from his sort of um his understanding of of his powers and uh, really playing into that origin story aspect of what this movie is trying to be and the evolution that he takes um throughout the film where he in a and again like again hearkening back to the dark knight um i think there is definitely inspiration drawn from this because they're uh along with J. jonah jameson sort of um portrayal of, of the spider-man character in the media and also like you also look at the way that harry osborne then sees spider-man at the end of the movie and while some people might see him as the hero in the friendly neighborhood spider-man his closest friend who doesn't know that it's peter parker under the mask thinks that this guy killed my father and like what what does that mean to the character um i think that's such a cool arc for this um for sam Ramey to take with this film and it really ended on a dark dark note and um mm -hmm. that's again that's not something that you would have expected of a film of this scale and of this type at that time and for for Sam Raimi to really go at it in 2002 and and develop the character in that way where it's sort of a roller coaster ride where you're taking with Peter Parker where he doesn't quite understand what's going on with him then he sort of accepts it and then he's sort of upset with it because of how it affects his um, circumstances his relationship with his family he has the sort of dynamic with Aunt May and the sort of a uh, tumultuous relationship with her and then um using that to try to impress uh, MJ in certain ways. And then like he kind of comes to a head and understand his, oh, understands um, because of his relationship with Ben built with Cliff Robertson um, performance early on in the film it brings him to that point at the end where he's like, I understand that some people are not going to like me. And I understand that there are parts of my life that are going to suffer for this, but this is what I've been tasked with. This is my responsibility. Um, and I actually think that it, the best way to embody this is actually a line that Tom Holland has in, in civil war where he's talking to Iron Man. And um, he says something along the lines, like, what would you like? I, I, it would be a fault of me to have these powers, not use them for good and not use them to save people. And I think that that this movie does a really good job, especially in those, like in that closing sort of second half of um bringing that character struggle to a head yeah i think when we're talking about the first one like i think the first one was the most consistent one in regards to like when you're comparing it to other origin stories and other origin comic book movies because 
this still feels like one of the freshest takes on the character because you know when I was rewatching it for the purpose of this podcast, I still felt that charisma, that whimsy. I still had a lot of fun with it when I was watching it. I was kind of like feeling nostalgic when I was watching it because this is like the first movie I owned on DVD, and like oh, we were wow. what <laughs> we were like seven, eight years old when this movie came out, so yeah. we were pretty much kids. And so when we attached ourselves to the Spider-Man characters, like. It's like a double whammy. So when we're talking about like that first act, when he's like, he's like, go web, go or Shazam or whatever it is, yeah. he's trying to do, he's trying to get the web out of his out of his wrist. Uh, it just still feels as fresh as it did in 2002. No, that's a good point. Um, do you have any other additional thoughts that you want to touch on from this movie, or should we get into the second one? Yeah, for the longest time, I thought that this was my favorite Spider-Man movie just because of the fact that I attached myself so much to Willem Dafoe as Green Goblin. I felt like he was like the stronger of the villains because of the, I guess you could say campiness, but also like the eccentricities as Green Goblin and like the menacing faces he creates and like the weird ass voice he does as Green Goblin or like the alter ego that he does when he's like talking in front of the mirror and all that, which is a great scene, by the way. It's a great uh, scene. (laughs) There's like a weird campiness and like cheesiness. I think Sam Raimi was trying to transpose the same tone that it's, it's, that's in the comics with a, what Ditko and Lee did for the, for the initial, like, um, what, like 40 years ago, I think when it came out. Yeah. So I think that, I think, I think so. Yeah. So when they were just trying to do, I think Sam Raimi was just trying to have that, uh, same weird sentiment or like, like with the same kind of comic book panels, the way that they would transpose the images up top of each other was weird to me, but I think that's why I couldn't attach myself as much as on this, like, I don't know, like fifth, sixth, seventh rewatch. I have no idea how many times I've seen this movie. But other than that, I think, you know, it still holds up well. Great origin story. And, you know, I think Tobey Maguire plays a weird nerd very, very well. He's really good. I think he doesn't quite get enough credit as the Spider-Man because there's been so many incarnations of the character now to this date. And again, Tom Holland is sort of, in my opinion, definitive Spider-Man, but we'll get into that later. Uh, mm-hmm. But Tobey Maguire is really, really good, and he doesn't quite get the credit for establishing this character in the way that he did in these movies. I'm really glad they said that he's a senior in high school and then the next <laughs> pushes him to a freshman in college because that age, he, he doesn't look like a senior in high school. He looks like, at the very at very best, mm-hmm. like a sophomore in college. Yeah, he, and he could, he could sort of pass as like a weird looking college student i guess like a little bit older but you know there are always those guys that you know in college that look a little bit older than they should look but they do end (laughs) up being in their in their early 20s so he definitely does pass for that so that's that's another good point um but um you know the the point that you make about the comic book um you know you made it earlier about sam raimi's fascination and and obsession with comic books and understanding of the comic books um and how he sort of transposed that then into his filmmaking style of the first movie I think he elevates that to an even greater extent in the second one in Spider-Man 2. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's actually part of the reason that this Spider-Man 2, up until um, Homecoming came out, was my favorite Spider-Man movie of the other, whatever, five, six of them that we had seen. Um, And the the scene that I go to specifically, and we'll talk about Alfred Molina as Doc Ock in in just a second, but like the scene where he first gets the um the the what are they called the tentacles on his back, and there's mm-hmm. the scene where he like is in the hospital and they try to treat him, and he basically like, just wipes out every single nurse and doctor that's in the room. That feels like a a scene that's taken straight out of the comic books and put onto the right. screen in the way the framing, the shadows, the way that the the tentacles go out and attack people. Like it it literally feels like a shot pulled off the um pulled off the page and put onto the screen and i think there's a few of those in this movie actually like especially in that final action sequence as well like with the the core nuclear blow up thing um but but like i think that actually helped me appreciate this movie even more than i did the first one 
I think the reason I like this one so much more than I did the second one, and on top of the third one, as, as well as the, all the other five, or four or five of them that just came out already, mm-hmm. is the fact that this is just more character focus and mm-hmm. it hinges it hinges on why Spider-Man is such a popular character, sure. and like the biggest aspect of spider-man within the comics itself and on top of the movies is him trying to balance being spider-man and being peter parker because when you're looking at different characters like tony stark is iron man iron man is tony stark he doesn't have that difficulty of balancing thor is thor steve rogers is steve rogers hulk is hulk but spider-man has these two different realities to himself he's trying to balance being a superhero a vigilante trying to save his city but at the same time, he's trying to, you know, have a girlfriend with Mary J. She's trying. He's trying to keep up with his relationship with Aunt May. He's trying to be friends with uh, Harry Osborn, and he's trying to keep up with school, keep up with work. Like he's always late to his jobs, and he's got, constantly getting fired. And that frustration shows so well on screen within the second movie because that inner conflict manifests itself in his inability to use his powers. And you know, he's like traversing between the skyscrapers and the, and the buildings within New York City. He like loses his ability to use his spider webs. Right, he, right. He isn't able. To, he isn't as strong as he usually is, and he's just trying to question why is he Spider Man, and he loses sight of what Uncle Ben told him in the first one, and you know that's why people relate so much to Spider Man as a as a young adult when you watch these movies, or when you were a young adult and you read the comics, is because you kind of relate to that um, inability to trying to just figure out what life should be and how you should balance it in regards to this this is much more in the elevated sense because he is a superhero but mm-hmm. it still feels very realistic in that sense yeah i that was going to be my other point on top of the sort of visual beauty of this movie is how character driven it is and, and you said everything there is to say about peter parker i don't think i could have said it better than that but <laughs> equal equally important to drive this thing home and, and this is something that you and i talk about quite often is um if you have a villain that is compelling that is understandable that is just as well fleshed out as the lead is that's going to make for just um, just the most complete version of a film-going experience. And and I think it helps definitely having Alfred Molina in, in the role of Dr. Octopus in this movie. Um, but, like, how well written that character is for having um, sort of being driven to do this one thing, and he, that's the thing that he wants more than anything else. And then that one thing that he does takes everything else away from him, kills his wife, uh, loses his family, injures himself, uh, sort of takes over his body in a way. And, and it's like, they do such a good job of painting why Doc Ock in this movie is a relatable character. And his goals are sort of understandable as well, especially in the beginning part of the movie. I think they get a little bit extreme closer to the end, but mm-hmm. um, because they do such a good job of building it up and really painting his character before the accident happens and understanding his motivations as to why the science behind what he's doing is motivating him, um, that's so crucial. And I think that Doc Ock is, is one of the... This Doc Ock, this version of Doc Ock in this movie is one of the best uh, villains that we've had, you know, top five easily um, superhero movies across the board. Let me ask you, since they've already reintroduced Venom into like the MCU kind of in a weird way with Tom Hardy, (laughs) do you think that Tom Holland himself will face off against a Doc Ock or a Green Goblin in the future? You know, that's an interesting question because we only have one movie, right, to be able to have that happen because Marvel and Sony's deal is coming to an end. So this third Spider-Man movie that is coming out 
is going to be the last. And I would go ahead and assume no. Um, I, I think Green Goblin is more likely than a Doc Ock, but I, I feel like John Watts with his um, Spider-Man movies is trying to go in a different direction than some of the other movies that we've seen before. Um, first off by casting an actual teenager as a teenage character. Um, I think Doc Ock is the character, you know, it is, I'm glad, I, I am sort of conflicted actually at the fact that you bring up either versus Green Goblin versus Doc Ock because those, and I don't have a whole lot of background with Spider-Man villains, but those two characters are definitely the most compelling villains in the sort of universe that I know. And um, mm -hmm. I think if I had to pick one, and I think if understanding the Spider-Man lore, Green Goblin seems a more likely route, but I don't even mm -hmm. know if either of those characters will show up. Because there is the character with who plays, I forget the actor's name, I think his name is Michael Mando. He's supposed to play Scorpion, I believe, because of like the, mm -hmm. the introduction or like the cameo that he has with like the oh, electric the, glove or whatever. Is that the but Sinister gets, Six stuff? Um, I don't know, but like when Vulture was, you know, as Michael Keaton when he was Vulture and he was like using the alien technology from the first Avengers movie to create his tech, Michael Mando was there within that, within his like his henchman group, like he was one gotcha. of the head guys. Yeah, yeah. And like they were saying that he's in prison now because of what happened in the first uh, Spider-Man Tom Holland movie, and um, I don't know if he's big enough of a figure to carry his own as his like as the sole villain. Because I'm trying to think, they already have Rhino as a what was the, what's the actor's oh, name? Paul Giamatti. Paul Giamatti, which yeah. is I, like a, just like a, can you just forget about him as a because he's like in the beginning he's at the he's at the end so he's like a nothing yeah. character within yeah. the second movie and uh, you've had Doc Ock, Green Goblin, Vulture, Lizard. Uh, is his name just Lizard? I have no idea. If I'm being completely honest with you. That we'll get into the Amazing Spider-Man movies in, in just a few minutes, but uh, I, I definitely have some thoughts on those movies. Yeah, but, you know, every time I think about Spider-Man 2, it's obviously that train scene and his relationship with the city and relationship with the people within the city. That's and a great that's, point, yeah. That's, like, when we're talking... So when, I, when we're trying to com compare this trilogy to, like, the one another famous comic movie with the Dark Knight trilogy, when we had that episode, we talked about the three themes within the Dark Knight, the first one being fear, second one being chaos, third one being pain. These, you know, great encompassing themes that kind of traverse all genres and it can be attributed to whatever story that you're telling you know told very well by chris nolan and that's kind of why this trilogy for the spider-man trilogy doesn't hit as well because the third one doesn't have the depth as the first two because the first one is about you know with great co with great power comes great responsibility the second one is about inner conflict and him trying to balance being peter parker and spider-man but the third one what it's just like he has to deal with villains like yeah. There's no depth in regards to the third one. So when you're talking about that train scene, you see that theme of same thing with Batman and Gotham. You see with Spider-Man in New York City and how, you know, I mean, they don't they don't really leak who he is. They don't say that like, he looks like this. He's like, he looks yeah. like a, he's not like a 25 year old. Or can, 20, I, 20, can I speak 20 to that for a sec? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm I'm so glad you mentioned that because that's sort of um harkening back to what I talked about at the end of of the first Spider-Man where he's really grappling with this relationship and what to what you said where he's throughout this entire movie he's grappling and trying to juggle all these different things. Um that train scene is so important. You know, from a visual standpoint, you know, obviously Spider-Man with his arms extended trying to stop the train, I think it's sort of burned into our brain. But yeah, mm -hmm. that scene that comes afterward, the quiet moment that not everybody's going to talk about is one of the best scenes of any superhero movie if you ask me. Um right. when 
when they they hand him the mask they like you know they're like he's just a kid and they're saying all this stuff about him and then they hand him the mask and it's it's bringing that whole relationship then to a head because it's saying you know i i as spider-man have a complicated relationship with all my surroundings i don't know how to handle all this stuff as a child as somebody who's learning about my powers and whatnot and for them for the people that he's protecting to acknowledge that and then give him the respect to say we're not going to tell your secret we know what you did here we saw what you did we know who you are but what you are to everybody else that's outside this train is spider-man and that's what's most important um that's such a beautiful incredible moment and it, it gives me goosebumps every time i even think about it yeah i mean that's like i w- what i wish they would do with the third movie is just like expand on that relationship he has with like the people of the city and within the city itself because you know when they were doing the first movie if you didn't know this, it was obviously being in production within 2000 and 2001, and you know the, the World Trade Center attack happened, and within a lot of the marketing, like the skyscraper, the the twin towers within like the posters, mm-hmm. there was one trailer out there where like there's like these robbers in a helicopter and they're trying to get away from the police, and then all of a sudden they get stopped in midair between these two buildings, and then like the camera pans back and you see like it's spider webs, and they can't it pans back even further, and we see that that the helicopter is stuck within the two trade centers or the world trade centers and like the the way that evokes how important new york city is to the spider-man story in and of itself is why i wish that they would expand on that more with the third one which they didn't and mm-hmm. we'll get into why but hopefully that we get to, they get to do that with um with the third and hopefully not the final yeah. Tom Holland movie but they kind of reference that as well in the third act of the first amazing spider-man movie yeah. Do you, do you have any closing thoughts on two, or do you want to use that as sort of a transition to the third one? Well, I just want to say real quick that the reason that Alfred Molina is such a good villain and an important character is that his entire motive does not involve around Spider-Man at all. He's more mm. focused on his uh, ambition to create this fusion reactor. The science, yeah, the science. The science and all yeah. that. And the, Spider-Man's just an obstacle to him, and, Spider- and, and within the same vice versa, Doc is, is an obstacle to Spider-Man. I think that's why that conflict works so well based on the first one, because the first one feels so much more personal. He knew Norman Osborn. His, it was his best friend's dad, and you know that final confrontation kind of comes into head in the third movie. Mm-hmm. But with the second one, it's just like, you know, this is somebody I look up to, but you know, I have these other things I have to deal with, and he has his ambition of creating this fusion reactor, and you know, they just kind of comes to it. I think I really enjoyed how that, how these, how the first two movies play off of each other in that regard. Yeah, and I think that it would have actually been appropriate for the second movie to be the sort of close because of all that stuff, and you know, it mm-hmm. ends on a bit of um, a happy note, right, with MJ coming to to Peter Parker and whatnot, and that sort of rounding out where that that storyline ends. But it does get into the third one, and um, you you said it earlier about how the third one's focus um is so so discombobulated because it's just like oh you think this is the villain no this is the villain you think that's the villain no this guy's the villain and this guy's coming out of nowhere and he's actually the villain it's just like it's such a disaster from a storytelling perspective Raimi himself told them told like a collider that the movie is awful Oh wow, I didn't even know that. And yeah. I, I I'm not I'm not really sure what went wrong here. I don't know if you have any more insight from like research and whatnot, but I, I really don't know what went wrong with the sort of frame like I don't know if they were trying to set up like spin offs and whatnot or what was going on. Well like, essentially yeah. they were going for six movies. Like the third one ends really weird. It's just Harry and MJ just dancing in the, in the middle of a cafe or something. Yeah, yeah. But so it goes with two ways. Sam Raimi himself thought that 
with how the second one ended, he felt like the higher the spectacle for the third one, the better. He admitted himself that was a fuck up on his side, but then Sony came in and said, hey, we want Venom in this movie as well. So you have Thomas Hayden Church as Sandman, and you have Harry Osborn as Hobgoblin, or like this hybrid Hobgoblin, Green Goblin character, and then you also mm-hmm. have Venom, which is like, you know, it's just juggling way too much at the same time. And mm-hmm. and even with the fourth one, they were talking about the fourth one, mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, Sam Raimi wanted Vulture for the fourth as a fourth villain, but Sony wanted the lizard guy. I don't know his name. <laughs> and the lizard guy being like the primary antagonist for this for the first Amazing Spider-Man movie, it just came to a head. So it's just like a conflict in you know artistic expression and in, in that sense. Yeah, I, it's you know you, you brought up Sony saying Venom needs to be in this, and it's just like yeah. why why Venom has no contribution to the story. And it's made even worse with uh what's his, what's the kid's name from the '70s show. Topher oh, Grace. Oh, Topher Grace. Yeah. Bad casting. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what was going on there. And then, you know, Thomas Hayden Church has always been a good actor. He's always good in the roles that he's in. But for them to yeah. introduce Sandman into this and they shoehorn, like, he's the one who killed the uncle. And it's just like, yeah. what, what's the point of all this? It doesn't make any sense. And I wish they had sort of focused on Peter and Harry's relationship in this movie. Because right. I like James Franco taking up the mantle and being the sort of new Green Goblin and taking up, um, trying to like fulfill his father's legacy and like go after the person that killed his father. And I think that if you had given that the proper time and fleshed it out and, and made a proper movie that was just focused on that relationship, it would have been so much more interesting. It would have made so much more sense. And it would have been like a more appropriate end to have that be the sort of final confrontation. But instead, they decide to throw in all these other characters, and it and of those three characters, I feel like the Green Goblin is actually the one that gets the least sort of credit towards the end, and you know his his sort of redemption and all that is is basically like thrown to the wind. It, it just it all makes no sense, and it's because they didn't give the time to flesh out that development of that character and the sort of th- the through line that's in this movie that has been through the entire series is the relationship between Peter Parker and Harry Osborn, their friendship, them being the two that ground each other, them be- being there for one another in their most difficult times um that that's the perfect place to take this third installment and the fact that they didn't sort of rely on that as being the sole narrative is is really extremely disappointing i just looked it up just now and the lizard guy's name is just lizard okay (laughs) you were right you were right (laughs) so it is just lizard but yeah i mean they're just they don't know what they wanted to do with spider-man in this movie because you know they they mentioned the fact that they want to harken back to two previous plot points in the first movie one of them being with Harry Osborn and how he saw Peter Parker put Norman Osborn onto his like this little couch thing in, in in their home and then as well as with Ben Parker and the murder of Ben Parker and how that just felt so half baked to me like they didn't want to, they didn't know what they wanted to do with it and i was also reading the fact that they spent a lot of focus on like the the CGI, like the special effects aspects of this movie, because they brought in people who are like sand sculptors and, you know, like experts on CGI and like the foremost technology to create like the sand monster in this movie. And they were just like putting their, so much focus onto the wrong things and the wrong plot, parts of the story that, you know, it just kind of felt like a glorified saturday morning cartoon where spider-man has to face off sandman venom and hobgoblin in like a two-part series on a saturday morning like i don't know what they were thinking in that regard because as you said yourself there is the possibility of having that emotional connection with both ben parker and harry osborn and then as well as the fact that you know they shoehorn gwen stacy they shoehorn 
Eddie Brock, they shoehorn uh, the what's his name, Captain Stacy, mm-hmm. and there's all these characters, and then they shoehorned Venom as well. So it's just like there's so much going on that none of these stories, in and of themselves, it could be good stories, but none of them have enough focus for the movie to feel just as cohesive as it could have been. And then we get to emo Peter Parker. That is my favorite part of the movie, actually, because I, I know people do hate this movie, but, you know, obviously not in a good way. But a lot of people find entertainment in that dancing t- scene in particular. I saw and, I saw a viral video go out a couple months ago where they just cut out like the the music because there is no music. The music is just a soundtrack to the movie. Mm-hmm. So there isn't Harry isn't wearing any headphones. No, Peter isn't wearing any headphones. Yeah, there's no car driving by with the music blaring that he's dancing to so like he's literally like dancing to music in his head and people are just looking at him like he's like a weirdo yeah and the choice to just make him have his <laughs> hair like just droop over his eye give him eyeliner like it's so were funny they trying to make him like a boy band member or like an actual because like if you saw the movie brothers yeah. with jake gyllenhaal and natalie oh not natalie portman yeah yeah, at, yeah natalie portman yeah, yeah natalie portman toby mcguire delivers a great tense performance in that where they could have used that into spider-man 3 like they could have shaved his head or something or give him like a face tattoo but instead they gave him eyeliner and droopy hair i am somewhat convinced especially after you tell me that sam Raimi said to collider himself that this movie was bad <laughs> that, like he, he just kind of knew at that point in the production he's like oh we're in trouble here let's just spice things up a little bit and decided to go for that but i i find so much joy in that scene just because it's so ridiculous and so stupid that like and you know it's been memed to the point where i mean this week you sent me that video of of him the the hammer the the Thanos hammer thing and sort of play with the, the cheering from Avengers uh, Endgame that that sort of sequence and I I actually thought that was probably the funniest thing I've ever seen like that that might be one of the funniest memes I've ever seen in my life that thing is so good um, check one of us will tweet it out maybe after this episode goes live so you guys can check it out but um it's you know it, it is a terrible decision storytelling wise it it's so dumb it, it's so dumb I don't exactly what you said um Tobey Maguire has shown up to this point that he is the actor is the capable enough actor to be able to juggle that sort of emotional stress and for them to just go full camp um I I, I just can't help but think that Sam Raimi is just like we we need to do some thing here because everything else is a disaster well i want to say that on top of the fact that danny alfred's more it is consistent within the three movies like the theme for spider-man is as is as iconic as it could be for a spider yeah it's good superhero movie but the best and most consistent thing about these movies is the fact that we get those bruce campbell cameos within all three of the movies the first one he's the announcer as the rest is a wrestler announcer the second one he's the usher for mary jane's a theater show and the third one he's the the French uh, Mitter D at that one restaurant where he's about to propose. Sure. He's, he's just hilarious in all those movies. Like he makes the most out of that small, like five minutes that he gets as these characters and within Sam Raimi's universe. And for people who don't know, Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell have a close knitted relationship because of their the evil, uh, Dead. the evil dead franchise. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just glad that he brought him into those, these movies because mm-hmm. just because of that, you know, comedic relief. Yeah, that's that's a great point. That is a great shout out for anybody that does know the Evil Dead franchise and Ash, the Ash character in particular, Bruce Campbell's character in those movies. You understand the the relationship between him and Sam Raimi, and you understand why he does show up in these movies. Although his characters are all different and whatnot, so that is a a fun little tidbit for movie geeks out there. Um, I don't really have any closing thoughts on this movie. I think we both sort of hit the nail on the head in terms of it just being a complete mess and discussing why it is. Um, but I kind of want to close things out on the discussion. Um, I want to ask you sort of. How 
how this series of films, and even, you know, if you want to do it individually, that's fine. Or if you want to do it as a whole, that's fine. How does it compare to the Spider-Man movies that have come after? Because Spider-Man is the character that we've seen the most of, maybe next to Batman, obviously, um, because we've gotten these versions. Then we got the Mark Webb versions with Andrew Garfield. And now we have the Tom Holland versions. We also have Into the Spider-Verse. Um, there's so many different uh, Spider-Man movies going on. And then you also mentioned the sort of side universe of Venom. And then we have Morbius coming out. And how does that all tie in? Um, what, what are well, your... Go ahead. There is a lot of conversation to be had, like one of them being who's the best Spider-Man, which is the best franchise, and which of these three different iterations, four, I guess, iterations, and ignoring the spin-offs with Venom and Morbius, are the best. So that conversation I've seen a lot on social media, like you say, Tobey Maguire is the better Spider-Man. People are saying, no, you're just saying that because it's nostalgia. And Tobey Maguire is a great Spider-Man. Andrew Garfield is a very fun spider-man like i enjoyed Arnold garfield as spider-man tom holland is he is spider-man i mean i can't really say that i can say the same for either toby mcguire or andrew garfield just because of how well tom holland is able to evoke the character uh, on screen because he does he, he does look like a teenager he does you know great work in the dr- dramatic aspects as spider-man but he is also like very bumbling in that regard because he is just a teenager trying to figure out how to juggle being spider-man on top of Mm-hmm. the fact that he is just this high schooler trying to just trying to figure out life mm-hmm. so i just want to i just want to say one thing so like the first one being like with great power comes great responsibility the second one is you know the inner conflict with spider-man the third one should have been his relationship with the city because they do kind of focus on that mm-hmm. in the first act when they give him like that parade and all that mm-hmm. so so when we're talking about those three aspects i'm hoping that they use that same dynamic with the city and the people within the city for the third and final Spider-Man movie, Mm -hmm. just because of the fact that there is a lot of story to tell there. And if you look back on how, you know, Chris Nolan used that aspect of Batman to create a very uh, large scale superhero movie and how well that turned out, Mm -hmm. you can kind of do the same thing for Spider-Man. And we have, we got to see that as well with uh, into the Spider-Verse, like the entire city was, at the hands of Kingpin because of what he was trying to do with his family. And, you know, I guess you could say, so I, let me think. So the third one is obviously the worst one. Yeah. I, I would say it's actually a tie between amazing Spider-Man two and the third cool. Spider-Man move from Sam Raimi's trilogy. Sure. Um, on top of that, I guess you put amazing Spider-Man cause I keep forgetting the lizard's name. <laughs> he's just lizard yes he is lizard right you said you confirmed you confirmed for no, us here on the air he's just lizard and i just thought <laughs> michael mando's supposed character name is just shocker okay like i don't know what like, i don't know stanley's just very creative with these names <laughs> so i guess Legend. so it's so it's two and five two and three at number five yeah. uh i guess you could say number the first Amazing Spider-Man, the second to last. Um, mm-hmm. The first Spider-Man movie, third. Okay. Far from Home, second or second or third. I'm, I'm I don't know how to count. So it's, it's Far from Home, and then uh, I want to say not for, yeah Far from Home, and then Homecoming, and then Spider-Man Two. Okay. 
Um, I guess mine is a little similar to yours in terms of ranking. And then I, I do have a sort of follow up to the point that you made about the relationship with the city. Um, yeah, my, my bottom is, is Amazing Spider-Man 2 and then Spy- this Spider-Man 3. And then Amazing Spider-Man. I hate both the Amazing Spider-Man movies. I think they're both bad. Um, I, I don't like the first. I think the first one is just as much of a mess as the second one. They're, they're not entertaining. I love Andrew Garfield. He's one of my favorite actors. I love Emma Stone. She's one of my favorite actresses. But those movies themselves are... I love Mark Webb. I think he's a great director, but those movies are just not good. Um, so those three are definitely at the bottom. Then I put Far From Home. Um, then I put Spider-Man 1. And then I put Spider-Man 2. And then I put Homecoming, and then I put Into the Spider Verse. Um, I think Into the Spider Verse revolutionized the character, um, and it, or it revolutionized, yeah, the Spider Man character. Even though it is Miles Morales, not Peter Parker, I think it just gave us so much more insight into the the potential of you know anybody can wear the mask. That's sort of the theme of that movie, and I think that that's such a brilliant thing. Um, but but to discuss your point that you made previously when you're talking about the the city relationship and i think that that's a, that is actually something that the third tom holland movie will do because we we said it here at the top that it, at the end the sort of stinger the post credit scene at at the end of far from home is j jonah jameson revealing who spider-man is under the mask and it is going to have peter parker then grapple with the sort of relationship of how does new york city react to knowing who peter Par- or who spider-man is who, knowing that it is a high school kid named peter Peter Parker, who's this geeky little high schooler who just goes and fights crime apparently in space and whatnot. Like, I think that the third one will sort of try to capitalize on that. I'm, I'm hoping at least, like you said, because they seem to have set it up for that. And as long as there's not too much studio interference, I think that is the direction that it is going to go. I also don't think this is going to be the final Tom Holland movie because, you know, when it came out, the fact that, mm-hmm. hey, we're not going to make another Spider Man, it was like, you know, yeah, bullshit because of how much money these movies make and, you know, how much people love Tom Holland and Spider Man. I was like, you know, these movies are going to come back, and I think that they're going to churn out as many Spider-Man movies as they can, even if <laughs> Disney has to buy Sony itself <laughs> as with Fox to get to get X-Men and all that. Yeah, I do think that we're going to get a lot more, but I'm just hoping, hoping to God that we don't see Venom, Tom Hardy's Venom, in these movies because Venom was a pile of shit. I agree. I actually did read a rumor that Tom Holland shot a cameo for Venom, but it didn't oh actually God. make the final cut of the movie. So, Dude, did um, you see the the out the the images of Woody Harrelson as Carnage? Yeah, he looks oh, like he's, he's doing like a Guy Fieri cosplay. That that is really bad. Those those pictures. I mean, it's from. It was already bad. I think at the end of Venom, that sort of post credit scene where he it had like, like a long hair. Time. Yeah, it looks so bad. And the pictures are even worse. The pictures that are coming out of that Venom sequel are even worse. So I, I can't say that I'm excited for that. I don't even know if I'm necessarily excited for Morbius, although I'm interested because of that Michael Keaton stinger in the trailer, um, because it does tie it into the MCU. So that's interesting, I guess. Um, but I do love the sort where Spider-Man is now, both with Into the Spider-Verse. I'm really excited for Joaquin Dos Santos to take over Spider-Man uh, or Into the Spider-Verse 2. And I love the Tom. I love Tom Holland. He is definitely my favorite Spider-Man of all the actors. Um, and I love the direction to that series is taken so wait hold on so we're thinking about how like they they kind of introduced like the different dimension theory within the mcu already they kind of like referenced it at least yeah and you know they kind of outright did it with into the spider-verse so we could have maybe like a live action version of miles morales in the tom holland movies that they want to be that ambitious so if you were to cast would you keep the current voice actor? He's Shameek a, he, Moore, right? Shameek Moore, who was in Dope, yeah. or would you cast somebody who is of Latin and African-American descent like Jarrell Jerome? 
Jarrell Jerome is a really good pick. Um, and I think that how, how are we going in terms of age? Because all those guys are older than the, the Miles Morales that we saw in the movie. Shamik Moore doesn't look that old. He no, he Jarell does. Jerome, they, they could squeeze, say that he's like, what, 18, 19? Yeah, but if if I'm going, you know, and this guy might be a little bit, you know, he, I mean, he's about as old as Jarrell Jerome, I think. But Kelvin Harrison Jr., I, I pick him for any sort of similar role, I think, because he's he's just my favorite actor in that age range, my favorite young black actor in that age range. Um, I think okay. that he's just great and everything um def you know he's he's got a lot of big things on his radar as well like Sh- trial of chicago 7 and whatnot coming out um Would you say it's so, controversial to say that they wouldn't give this to make more because to more is a live action actor himself yeah and i i don't i guess you know I guess it depends on how closely they decide to loop in this specific universe. Like, if you're going to go... This is a hypothetical. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. No, of course. But uh, um, I do love Shamik Moore, and I would have no problem with any of the three actors that we listed here making the cut for that role. Um, but, I, you know, I think of also, like, in terms of look and whatnot, in terms of the way they can embody them, um, I think that the other two guys, uh, Drill Jerome and, and Kelvin Harrison, have a bit more of the sort of look that they could sort of fit the role than, than Shamik Moore does. Also, shout out to the fact that Sam Raimi is coming back to the MCU as the director for the Multiverse of Madness, the second and, Doctor Strange yeah, movie. Yeah, which could which could open the door to some of these other Spider-Man characters and other men's, other Spider-Man universes feeding into the Do MCU. Do the Infinity Stones still exist in the MCU? I don't think so. I think when uh, Iron Man used the glove, it destroyed them, I think. No, because when Thanos did it the first time, they still existed. But he actually had to destroy them himself after he did like this little wish. I don't know. I am not steeped in comic book lore enough to know whether or not they're destroyed. Um, I would imagine that if they are still of like if they're if they're still there and the people in the MCU decided not to destroy them, that would make me even more frustrated with the MCU than I already am. So Why? I'll put that out there, I guess. Why? Because like if you've already learned the circumstances of what could happen with those stones, if somebody with too much power gets to them and you're not going to destroy them after that, that's a problem. That's so how, not how, how do they rope in the X-Men then? Because up until this point. Disney has bought Fox, but they haven't been, like, referenced. Maybe they have. I can't really think off the top of my head. Maybe in an offhand line, one-liner. Not sure. But I don't know, because that interdimensional aspect of one of the stones, I forget, the space stone, I think, or a combination of one of them. I don't know which one it is. (laughs) I don't know how else they would introduce the X-Men into the MCU. However it's going to happen, it's going to happen in Doctor Strange, I assume. Um, and I don't know how the multiverse thing's true. <laughs> yeah, like magic could be the sort of just opening gate. The catalyst. Doing weird, crazy stuff. I mean, we saw it in the first Doctor Strange, and that could be the direction that they go. Do you want to see any of the, pre- like, Tobey Maguire show up in, in the costume again? Is that something you'd be interested in? Not on the cover. I actually just see him as a cameo, because, okay. you know, they were just trying to harken back to the Sam Raimi ones, and... Actually, I don't know. That's interesting because he's Sam got Raimi the connection. Is, he's, he got the connection right there. Yeah. So, like, you would just see Andrew Garfield, Tobey Maguire, Shameik Moore, slash Darrell Jerome, slash Kelvin Harrison, <laughs> Miles Morales, and Tom Holland within the gear. Maybe even Oscar Isaac, because Oscar Isaac was a voice actor in Into the Spider Verse as a. I forget the character's name. He was like the oh. Blue Spider Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. Um, there were a few actors. Like Nick Cage was one of the Spider Mans too, wasn't he? Yeah, and Nick Cage was. I would the love noir Nick Cage one. Is. He was in the Marvel. <laughs> that, that, I mean, there, there's definitely interesting possibilities there. But um, do you have any closing thoughts on everything that we've discussed here? Um, I think everyone's unanimous when we're talking about the trilogy, just being that the second is the best one, first is a great nostalgic trip, and the third one is a, you know, uh, just a complete yeah. disappointment. I want to say something though. I was 13 when this movie came out, so I was still, you know, kind of adolescent in my. In my in, in my thought process, so when Harry died, I did cry, but 
I, I don't know why. I guess it was just like puberty or something. Like I just started growing hair on my balls. It was a weird time in my life. So I guess I, that's the reason why I have a weird connection to the third Spider-Man movie. But you know, this, I guess this is the third time I've seen this movie since it came out in 2008. Mm-hmm. So it is, it is a bad movie, even though I have that weird connection to it. Mm-hmm. But you know, Andrew Garfield is a good Spider-Man. Those movies are kind of, you know, either mediocre or outright just bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that we're going to get more than three Tom Holland movies. I hope you're Spider-Man. right. I hope you're right. Because, yeah, we won't necessarily see him in the MCU. Disney is money hungry, bro. But Sony Sony could still make those movies even without the connection to the MCU, too. So, like, they will make them is... badly because with the, Fantastic Four was, what, Fox or Sony? That was Fox. So that was Fox. But I'm saying Venom was a, wasn't good. And yeah. they did the two Amazing Spider-Man movies. You said yourself were bad. So if Sony does take the reins... Mm-hmm. So for just those solo Spider-Man movies, mm-hmm. don't expect them to be good. Yeah, that's 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 fair. And the <laughs> Spider-Man movies, the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies, are the sort of shining light in the MCU for me currently. I am excited, like we said on the last episode, uh, for the future to come. But um, I think that'll bring us to a close for this discussion. That was a lot of fun, actually, and um, I'm glad that we got to discuss those movies and revisit them because it had been a while since I had seen any of these movies. So that was definitely a lot of fun. Um, but that'll bring us to a close for this episode. Um, please be sure, as always, to check our episode notes for resources on black lives matter movies that you can watch uh, places you can donate and petition um sam let people know where they can find you online you can find me on my twitter at sam zero so and on my instagram at sam osorio o-s-o-r-i-o you can find me at rodsod236 um as always please be sure to rate review and subscribe to the podcast as well as sharing it with your friends and family you can find us on apple and spotify anchor all the popular platforms um we'll be back next week we've got we just got some avatar news today we're gonna hold off on discussing that until <laughs> next week but um we've got some thoughts so tune in on the next episode i think it'll be an interesting one <laughs>